Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Freedom Centre Church in Preston. We're carrying on our series on spiritual gifts this morning uh, and as of last week we're kind of looking at free gifts this morning and me and Tom are kind of sharing the preaching again. Um, this week I'm going to look at two gifts and Tom's going to look at one. Um, so you're going to hear from me for 10 minutes or so and then I'm going to hand over and you'll get a break from my voice and then I'll, uh, I'll pick, pick up again um, to finish off with. And um, the spiritual gifts that I want to look at this morning, the two that I'm going to kind of cover um, in our time this morning is... Um, Helps and service. Helps and service, or serving and helping. <laughs> um, and they're two quite similar gifts in many ways. And so I'm going to, as opposed to talking about one in the first part and then having a break and talking about the other, I'm going to kind of talk about them both together because the kind of application of them and a lot of the stuff I want to say around them is, is quite similar. But they are also distinct gifts. They are different gifts. And I'll explain why in a minute because the Bible actually defines them as separate gifts and we're going to look at that but we're going to kind of look at them um, as I said both together let's just have a quick look at the references bible references to them as spiritual gifts Um, should come up on the slide (laughs) no that's uh, Tom's one if you go to slide five it should be John thank you there we go. Fantastic. Um, so 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 28. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second's prophet, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping. I've underlined it. That's the one we're looking at, or one of the ones we're looking at, of guidance and of different tongues. And in Romans 12, verse 6 to 7, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. Now, those two passages we've looked at quite a lot over the last couple of months, haven't we? Because those are the kind of two of the, the main lists of spiritual gifts that appear um, in the Bible. And, and as you can see, there, helps, helping and serving are both listed there differently. And they have different root words um, in the Greek. Now, let's be honest. Helping serving, they're not the kind of coolest, most exciting gifts, are they? To use a car analogy, and if you put the next slide up for me, um, I like cars. So to use a car analogy, often we will see um, kind of gifts um, like prophecy and healing and kind of supernatural gifts like that and leadership. We'll see them as like the really cool gifts, like the sports car type gifts. They're kind of really seen as really valuable. They're seen as really desirable. We like to be seen kind of moving in those gifts like you might be like to be seen in a sports car like that driving around. We like to be seen kind of seeing healing, seeing prophesying, doing stuff with tongues, all that kind of stuff. It's it's a lot edgier. It's a lot cooler. And then gifts like the gifts of helping and serving, we often think of more like, kind of like the transit van in the car analogy. Not quite as cool, not quite as edgy, not quite as desirable maybe. But I want to start by saying this morning that the gifts of help and service are incredibly, incredibly valuable. And like a good transit van, they're consistent, they're reliable, they're useful in lots of different circumstances, they're, they're flexible. And if you want to move a load of stuff, then you're not going to get much stuff in your sports car. But your van, there's nothing better. And I want to say right from the word go, that the gifts of serving and helping are not second class gifts. They're not the gifts for the people who don't have the cool gifts. They are incredibly vital gifts to the body of Christ. They are crucial in building church, in building community, in building kingdom. They're like the legs 
of the body of Christ, if you want to use that metaphor. Because without them, the church, the body of Christ is really limited. Without people who are willing to help and to serve. Why are they so valuable? Well, helps and service both involve a huge amount of a very precious resource called time. And you can give a prophecy and you can pray for somebody for healing and that's really good and that's amazing and that's valuable. But actually it doesn't often take that long. Whereas those of us who move in the gifts of service and helps, there's a real time investment in that. And we talked about giving of our money last week. And I think time and money are probably two, our two most valuable resources we have. So to be able to give those generously is a fantastic gifting. Time when we could be sleeping, time uh, when we could be relaxing, time when we could be working, time when we could be earning money elsewhere. So I'm going to say some more about the value of these giftings later. But I want to say that right from the word go, that these are incredibly important and valuable gifts. Now, I've said that they are similar, but I've also said that they're different. Um, and if we bring up the next slide, I just want to define um, the differences for you because there are some differences between serving and helping. So the Greek word for helps um, in 1 Corinthians 12 that we read earlier uh, means being a support or help for those in need. So it's a people-focused gift. Um, whereas the gift of service comes from the Greek word, um, which is similar to the word deacon, and it's about tasks. So it's more of a task focus. If you put up the next slide, thank you. Um, so serving is your task Focus gift, helping is your people focus gift. So somebody with a gift of helps is more person focused in the way that they help. Um, so, for example, somebody with the gift of helps might want to help um, somebody with things like cooking or, or uh, cleaning or going shopping for them or taking administration off them, either because they want to release that person into a gifting or into a thing that they want to do. So maybe it's, a, um, I don't know, a leader of a church or a leader of a ministry. And actually, there's people around them who say, look, let me take that task off you. Let me help you with that task so I can release you to do other things that only you can do. So somebody with the gift of helping will do that, or to help somebody who is in need at that time or needs extra support and help. So there's some overlap in the gift of helps with the giftings of hospitality and with the giftings of mercy, which we talked about in other weeks. People with the gift of helps are very pastoral, caring kind of people. And then you've got the gift of service, the task-focused. So this often, within the context of church, is more around church kind of infrastructure. It's the people who put out the chairs. It's the people who prepare the slides and do the media and love kind of doing the rotors and, and organizing and the administrating kind of projects. And, and in Acts 6, oh, we haven't got time to look at it now, but we'll see that the, the, um, the apostles commissioned deacons because actually they needed to be released to do their kind of, to do other work as apostles. So they gave people these practical kind of serving jobs, really important jobs, but serving jobs, serving the tables so that they could be released. And there's some overlap, of course, in this gifting with the gift of administration as well, which we've talked about. Now, we all naturally will lean more, whether it, you might say neither of these are my gifts, but we'll all we will all hopefully at some point serve, whether it's in the church or outside the church, and help people. And we all, I think, have maybe a natural inclination more towards helps or towards service, more you know, towards wanting to help people and support people with kind of tasks and, and, and stuff like that, or, or we're more kind of task-orientated people in the sense of we like schedules, we like rotors, we like to put out chairs, we like practical work. Just for one minute, turn to the person next to you and tell them which one you think you are more. Go.
Okay. Okay, fantastic. Now with the gifts of service and the gifts of help, like with a lot of the other spiritual gifts, um, they are, some people specifically have that gifting. That is a kind of a thing that they really, um, Karen, we're going to look, about that, look at that in a second. But equally, we don't like, leave all the serving jobs to those with the gift of service. And we don't leave all, leave all the helping jobs to those with the gift of helps. We all get involved uh, in moving in the gifts of service and help and helping out and being practical in that way. So what I'm talking about today uh, is relevant to all of us, uh, whether it's our gifting or not. But some of us, this is our gifting uh, and maybe we don't realize that yet. We maybe never thought of it as a gifting. Um, but for some of us, it is. And, and I'm just going to go through some characteristics, if we have the next slide, um, of um, serving and helping. Um, so a server-helper um, has the grace and willingness to sacrifice his or her time and energy in order to complete a task or support somebody. So this person has the grace, I guess is a key word there, to be able to do these tasks, their willingness, they they are willing and have the grace to put out the chairs, to serve people in that way, to give their time, to sacrifice their time. Um, they they kind of want to do it. And that links to the next one is a server feels kind of alive and happy when doing practical works that help others. We talked about this with some of the other giftings that when we're moving in our gifting, we kind of get a buzz because we know this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. I feel happy doing this. I feel like I fit. And people with the gifts of service and helps, they get that. When they're putting out the chairs or they're organizing rotors or they're doing admin jobs or they're going shopping for people or helping people, other people around the home, they kind of, yeah, this is great. I want to be doing this. this. This feels good. This feels like it's me. Um, a servant helper feels close to God when serving and helping others. So it's part of their worship. Again, a sign that we're moving in our gifting is we'll feel a kind of a connection with God when we're doing that. We feel kind of like it's, we feel worshipful. We feel like we're close to God when we're moving in that gift. A servant helper is reliable, consistent, and will see um, a job through. A server, specifically a server now, is a doer rather than a planner or a delegator. So if you're a server, you're not very good at just being like, oh, you know, we'll organize these jobs. If you see a job, you just want to do it yourself because you're a doer. You'll just get it done. Um, That's you. A helper is filled with compassion for people and wants to help release people, set them free by helping and serving them. So they want to release people, you know, to be able to do other roles, other jobs, as we talked about, or help them because they are in, have that need at that time. So that's some characteristics. And maybe you see yourself in some of those characteristics. But there's also some pitfalls that I just want to look at really quickly um, before I hand over to Tom. Um, next slide, please. Uh, and these are some pitfalls of either people with the gifting of serving and helping, or if you are somebody who serves and helps, because you may be somebody who's a prolific server and helper, and you may think, well, it's not one of my free, top three gifts, but I do do it, and that's fantastic. Um, but here are some pitfalls um, when serving and helping. One is overcommitment, all right? Because often if it's our passion, if it's our desire, if it's something that we feel close to God doing, we feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing, maybe we feel a sense of kind of responsibility, and we're loyal, and we, we do it, Often, if we're not careful, we can overcommit. And the things that we do and we set out to do um, with, a, with all the right reasons and the right motivation can actually start to suck the life out of us. And we can become in danger of burnout because we're just doing too much. It can become detrimental to other relationships. Yes, there should be some sacrifice. Yes, serving and helping will involve sacrifice of our time and will... It causes us to have to make some difficult decisions sometimes, but where it's affecting maybe our marriages or our family lives or it's affecting our relationship with God or it's really burning 
us out, then maybe it's time to take a step back and see what we're doing. So overcommitment can be an issue. If you think that's you, I really want to recommend a book to you, which, um, which I read a, a while ago um, and found really, really helpful in this kind of area, um, both in kind of with kind of helping and serving people, but also tasks and stuff. And it's called Boundaries, and it's by two people called Cloud and Townsend. And I think there's a website if you kind of Google that. I come and see at the end. And there's some videos you can watch if you don't want to commit to reading the whole book. But it's really helpful about understanding like what it looks like to commit and to help and to serve sacrificially, but also in a way where you're putting boundaries in place and you're not getting burnt out. So overcommitment is a pitfall. Um, secondly, resentment. Resentment. If you are a helper and a server, resentment is something that can easily creep in. Because if you are a naturally a server or a helper, you're the kind of person who will see a job and you'll just go and do it. You'll go and get on with it. You'll be the person who will have the hands in the bowl of washing up um, at the party. Because you see the jobs and you, just, you get them done. And with that, resentment can come. Because you can be doing the jobs and doing the tasks and you can be looking around and thinking, why, why are they not doing anything? I'm the only one doing all the work here. And if you're a server and a helper, let me tell you this, because it might help you. Often, if your brain works like that, you think everyone's brain works like that. But actually, some people just don't see jobs. (laughs) They don't have the initiative you have. Um, And so it's really important that we guard our hearts um, if you are a server and a helper and you don't kind of get resentful about people that you see not doing things. And when we get resentful, the bottom line is it's because we've forgotten who we're serving. We get resentful maybe because we don't feel appreciated and that can be, that can be a hard thing and, and we should be showing appreciation to people who serve and help. But often if we we're doing stuff behind the scenes, there can be a lack of appreciation and recognition and that can bring resentment as well. But that comes in when we forget who we're doing it for, that we're not doing it for ourselves, that we're not doing it for the leadership team of the church or for our boss at work, that we're not um, doing it for, yes, we are doing it for other people, but ultimately we're doing it for God. <laughs> ultimately we are serving God, we are helping because of our worship and our commitment to God. And if we keep that in the forefront of our minds, even when we are underappreciated, even when people don't notice, actually we can delight still in serving and helping without resentment because we recognize that we're doing it for the glory of God and it's for his, his applause, if you like. It's for his appreciation. Okay, and thirdly, workspace theology. This is another pitfall um, for, for kind of this gifting. Because because serving and helping can be such a, a part of our worship and something we feel close to God doing, which is brilliant, we can easily kind of take the next step into that mindset that actually God's pleasure in us and his approval in us is based on our work. And that's a, a kind of a subtle but dangerous shift that we can make in our thinking if we're not careful. And when this happens, we start to serve and we start to help, not because we're worshipping God, not because uh, we want to, but because we're on this treadmill where we're trying to earn God's favour. And if we don't serve and we don't help, we feel incredibly guilty about that and we feel like we've let God down. But actually God loves us and God delights in us no matter what we, what we do, how much we serve or how little we serve. His delight is not based on our works. Yes, it's worship. Yes, it blesses the heart of God when we serve, but grace is not dependent on that. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And it's vital that we serve from a place of worship, from a place of understanding God's grace in our life. And I think kind of to add to that, it's important to If you are a server, you will naturally be a doer. And it's important when you are a a doer that you take time to be with God. Because if you're a doer, uh, and I put myself in this category, I often find it hard just to be. 
just to be still before God because my brain's racing through my to-do list and the jobs that I need to do and tasks and it's easier just to get jobs done. But actually, let me encourage you, if this is you, then prioritize and work hard to make time just to be with God. I'm going to hand over to Tom. We're going to look at some more about service and some application around service and helps um, in, in a short while. Okay, thanks, Tom. Thank you, Pete. Um, can you just quickly go back, go back to that last slide real quickly, John? I'm going to embarrass Pete for a minute because that's always fun to do. I like doing that. Okay, uh, just, I'm just going to add, just going to kind of add a human face to this because Pete is brilliant at this stuff. This is like Pete... Pete's gifting, serving and helping. He's fantastic at it, and it's one of his strengths. It's not one of my higher kind of gifts up the list, okay? Right? <laughs> it's not. And these here, and I'm sure S would agree, these are probably Pete's pitfalls, okay? Right here. <laughs> Just to embarrass him. But that's where, even though that's Pete's gift, and he loves it, and he gets energy from it. It's like, Pete does things, I've got no idea how he does it. Like, for me, I'd be on my knees in tears, because I'd just be exhausted from it. But Pete is like that Duracell rabbit that just, he goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And that's brilliant, but it's so important for me, as his friend, to not abuse that, and to not think, Pete's fine, he will do it. Okay, because that's out of you know, other giftings that we have, and out of our sense of being family, and a body together, we need to you know, make sure that we appreciate the people that do these things and we don't take it for granted because it's their gifting so they can sort it. But even then it's not my gifting, I need to kind of just slap myself around the face and go, come on, like, and, you know, so it's not just all lumped on Pete. Sorry, Pete, just thought I'd say that. Right, okay, teaching. I'm going to talk, teaching's very different to what Pete's talking about. I'm going to quickly talk about teaching for a few minutes. Um, and you might be thinking, well, I'm, I'm never going to stand at the front of church with a microphone for 30 minutes, so this has got absolutely nothing to do with me. So we're going to unpack it a little bit and see whether or not you're right. That's what we're going to do for a few minutes. So first of all, the gift of teaching. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a gift of being able to teach and communicate the Word of God and God's heart. First and foremost, it's about being able to teach and communicate the Word of God and God's heart. Now, when you think of different teachers, or when you think of the word teacher, a few different things might come to your mind. You might, many of us, when we think of teacher, we think of school teachers. That might be the first thing that pops into our head when we think of teachers. So we might think of someone who's a teacher as being um, very intelligent. That was, it's not me, because on my notes I've spelled intelligent wrong, so that's not me. We might think of someone who is, <laughs> he had a little red, red, red squiggly line and I just gave up. I thought, that's all right. We might think of someone who's intelligent. We might think of someone who's boring. We'll leave that one out there. Uh, someone who's wise. It might be someone who's self-centered, perhaps. Maybe you've had a teacher who was just incredibly self-centered and maybe they were arrogant. You might associate teaching uh, with being getting told off at school. Someone, you know, yelling at you and telling you off because you were stupid or something like that. You might associate it with discipline. You might associate it with something degrading, perhaps. Maybe you had an experience where you just felt completely degraded by a teacher. Abby's a teacher, so I don't know. <laughs> this is nothing to do with Abby. But the, word, the root of the word teaching, when we look at the word teaching, what it meant in the Greek, the root of the word is less just about teaching like one person sharing brain. It's, it's, it's a sense of imparting something. Teaching is about not just my brain to your brain. It's about imparting. It's about transferring. It's about someone trying to input and transfer from what they have into somebody else. Parents in the room particularly, I'm sure you 
will have uh, experienced when your child is doing something and they might be um, doing something dangerous, something silly, something that's not very wise, and you might even told them not to do it, but they still carry on doing it. And the frustration that you have, I wish they just got it. Just, just understand, please, please, please understand why you should not put your hand on the cooker all the time. You're desperate for them to understand, and not just to get it here in their brain, but for them to completely understand and actually get it. See, you might have experienced someone, maybe it was at school or university or in church or one of those BBC Two kind of late night lectures which they do. You might have seen someone that, that, that teaches, but really they're not teaching. You're not getting anything from it. All they're doing is they're just pouring their brain out and, you know, trying to just throw all this stuff out, and you're sat there not sure at all what's going on. You understand nothing of what they're saying, and you well, what's the point of this? It's horrible. It's horrible. I've been in lectures and stuff where someone's talking, and they're just not teaching. There's no communication happening. They're just going blah, 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 blah. And you sit there, like in that Homer thing where he's do, 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 all these things just going on in your brain, and you're just getting absolutely nothing from them. That is not teaching. A teacher, a good teacher is not motivated by an intellectual frustration. A good teacher is not motivated by a sense of anger or frustration that this person needs to know these words. They need to know these scriptures. They must know this. They must be able to recite passages. And that's not a teacher. That's the wrong motivation for a teacher. And this, is, and this is part of the reason, because I can, I, on my computer and my TV and on my phone, I've got access to thousands of teachers, really good teachers, and that's great. I, I access these people regularly. But this is why there's no replacement for teaching in your home church. Because in your home church, there's a pastor, there's people that love you, that care about you, that know you and want to impart and pour something into you. And I'm not saying that's not the case for the people that you listen to on YouTube and the podcasts and all that kind of thing. But when you know someone and they're speaking to the life of the church, of what's happening here today in Preston, in our church, in our community, there's so much power to that. This has to be the motivation for teaching. It's about love. It's about loving people. And like that analogy with a child, just so desperately wanting them to just understand it and to get it. The motivation for teaching cannot be um, for pride or it cannot be for a platform or for an ego boost. That's an awful motivation for teaching. In fact, in uh, James chapter 3 verse 1 my least favorite scriptures in the bible it says not many of you should become teachers my fellow believers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly so there's a there's a level of accountability for a teacher i hate this verse (laughs) i don't like this verse at all when i when i'm preparing to preach like this this verse rings around my brain so loudly so noisy this verse when when i'm preparing to preach and to be honest sometimes this verse stops me wanting to do this <laughs> it stops me like why should i do this when i'm going to be held to a high level of accountability like i just rather just hand the microphone to someone else and they can do it because i don't want that this goes through my brain it's horrible so two ways that i deal with this 
Okay, two ways that I deal with this. First of all, when I preach, in all honesty, there's a, there's a, there is a danger of this. Right? There's a danger of kind of the ego trip because you've got people looking at you and giving you their attention. There is a danger of that. But I find it anything but that, to be honest. Because when I'm preparing to teach, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's like a roller coaster that week. Up and you know, I, I always have one point through the week. I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. Like I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. And it reveals all this stuff, and all because of this verse just ringing in my mind that there's going to be a higher level of accountability. Preparing is tiring, and it's just it's exhausting. So I say that whenever you see someone up here, there's a lot of exhaustion that has gone into it. The second way that I cope with that verse is that I have never asked, and I never will ever ask to preach. I've never once in my life asked for the microphone to preach. That way I just see, there's a, I've got a covering of pastors who have kind of asked me, and that just takes a little bit of the pressure off that I'm not there kind of demanding the microphone because I have things to say and I want people to look at me when I'm talking. Okay, so that's two ways that I deal with that scripture. Okay, quickly moving on, just a couple more minutes left. So you're right, most of us, a lot of us will not stand at the front of a church probably and talk for 30 minutes. A lot of us will never do that. So where else do we see this gift of teaching? The first thing that I could think of is right now upstairs, the Freedom Kids are in that room. And Lydia, bless Lydia's heart, is doing wonderful things with those kids. Okay, Lydia is a fantastic example of this. Lydia, I know Lydia's heart. She is desperate, not for the kids just to be able to recite scriptures, not just desperate for the kids to be able to know characters and be able to win some sort of Bible pub quiz question if something pops up about Moses or something in 10 years time that's not Lydia's heart Lydia's heart is that these kids get it that they get it she is desperate trying to to communicate to these children who are you know obviously such a different age to them and a different place to her she's desperate for them to get it and to understand it in our own homes as well the Proverbs 22.6 says train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it There's places in our life where we need this gift of teaching. Even in our marriages, we need that gift of teaching. So often, I try to, and Sophie with me as well, we try to communicate things about God to each other. Sophie's been at a conference this weekend down in London, and I know when she gets back, she'll have this frustration at me because I'm not getting it. She'll be like so pumped up, you know, about all this stuff that happened at this conference, and she'll be so excited, and she'll be like, just understand it, share my excitement. That's where the gift of teaching is so important, so that we can share and communicate and so into one another. And last of all, before I finish, just to kind of throw the cat amongst the pigeons and blow this whole thing up, Jesus was obviously the best teacher. They called Jesus rabbi, teacher. Jesus was a wonderful teacher. And when Jesus taught to the stuff when we see it in the Bible, it's any, it, looks, it looks nothing like this. Jesus did not, like, when we read it in the Bible, stand up with a microphone for half an hour, start with a quick anecdote just to get people all in the mood, and then, you know, move through a four-point talk. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus stood on boats so that people could see him. He stood on the mountain. He stood in the marketplace. And most of the time, he just told stories. He told these parables, just these things, these parables which are so captivating. These parables are so, there's, there might be two lines of scripture to what some of these parables, but there's so much going on there. And blows my mind when I actually sit and study these parables of Jesus, the rabbi, Jesus, the teacher. 
So if you think you know what teacher looks like, it's just, you know, very, you know, sometimes it's more than that. And I know that the gift of teaching is so important to our church being all it can be. So that's an encouragement for you with that gift, a challenge of you for those who do not. Maybe it's something worth pursuing. Pete. Thanks, Tom. Brilliant. Um, I just want to jump your attention back now to uh, service and helps. Uh, And um, so we looked at some characteristics around service and helps. We looked at the differences uh, and the similarities between them. I just want to do some, and we looked at some pitfalls as well. I want to just do some application uh, to finish this morning around serving uh, and helping. Um, Application if it's your gifting, but application if you don't feel it's your gifting, because as we've already said, we're all called in this area. Um, just for ease, I'm going to just talk about serving and use that phrase to incorporate serving and helping. All right. So when I say serving, I'm talking about both from now on. All right. Um, as we go forward. So the first point um, I want to look at is the, is the value of serving. Um, the value of serving. And I touched on this at the beginning, um, but it, it's, it's worth going back to because I think it's so important. Because um, we so often undervalue the gift gift of serving and helping. And we so often in churches and as Christians place a higher value on gifts like the supernatural gifts or the gifts that kind of wield power and position. But I want to be really clear again that the value of the gifting we have and our role in the kingdom is not based on how much we have one of these in our hands, a microphone. It's not based on how supernatural or edgy or kind of cool we see the gifting. If anything, the opposite is true. And in Mark 9, Jesus, um, and there's a few stories like this, um, but this is one of the times that Jesus talks around this. Uh, I'll read it to you and and, and we'll talk about it. Verse 33, it says, They came to Capernaum, this is Jesus and the disciples, And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? This is Jesus to his disciples. So he's saying, what were you guys arguing about on the road? And they kept quiet because on the way, they'd been arguing about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Wow. So they're, they're on the road and they're saying, oh, I'm greater, I'm going to be better, I'm going to be the one with the microphone in my hand, if you like. I'm going to be the one teaching, prophesying, doing all that. I'm the most important. I'm going to be the one with the position. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. No, you've got it all wrong. If you want to be first, be last. Be the servant of all. And this is so counter, it was so countercultural then, and it's still so countercultural now, because to be first in our minds and in our culture is to be served That's the definition, if you like, of success, isn't it? To be served. In our workplaces, we feel like we've made it when we get to the point where we're in a senior enough position where we have people serving us. We have the secretary bringing us our cup of coffee through in the morning. We have the people coming into our office and asking what they need to do that day. And we're giving orders and we're giving instructions and people are coming and serving us. We've made it in our minds. In a restaurant, we go to a nice restaurant and we can afford to go to a a posh restaurant and have people kind of wait on us hand and foot or to to, to a spa and people to kind of do facials and massage and all that stuff and and to be served. We've made it. In our home, maybe, to get to the place where we're able to maybe employ a gardener or a cleaner or, or somebody who can serve us in our home. It's success. We've made it. 
And I'm not saying any of that stuff is wrong. But Jesus put value in a very different way. Jesus says the opposite is true. If you want to be first, be last. Be the servant. And he demonstrated this beautifully in the Last Supper. When, and you will know the story where Jesus went around with a bowl of water and a towel. And he washed the disciples' feet. And it blew their minds because that was the slave's job. And, you know, the mucky, dirty feet from the road and he served them. And he was trying to make a really important point to them once again because they still hadn't got it at this point. It's about serving. Why is serving so valuable? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but I want to just pick up on two. And the first is this with the next slide, um, please, John. It's the purest expression of the gospel or one of the purest expressions of the gospel. Matthew 20, verse 28, it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus modeled this in his life. He came as a servant, the servant king. He came and died. The way he lived, it was about serving. It wasn't about himself. And the gospel that we live is one about serving. That's why we do so much work in the community, to serve the community, because it's so central to the gospel message, to serve and to love others. It's not about us. It's not about our egos. And when we tap into serving and helping, we tap into something that is so central to the gospel message. Something that is just an expression of the gospel in a really pure way. And, it's an, and when we serve, it's a beautiful act, I believe, before Jesus because it's such an expression of the gospel. In serving, there is no room for ego There's little room for pride. There's little room for agenda. There's little room for self-promotion or selfishness. When you think about a lot of the other gifts and, you know, mentioned already, things like healing, prophecy, teaching, preaching, leadership, great gifts, valuable gifts, important gifts. But with them, there comes a lot more of a risk of those things. Pride, ego, selfishness, self-agenda. But when we are serving, when we're behind the scenes and we're doing those jobs and we're serving the body or we're helping somebody in a way that hardly anyone else sees, there's little room for those things. So it's valuable for that reason. And that links into the next reason I want to say that it's valuable, um, which is it's good for us. It's good for us. Serving is good for us. Whether you feel it's your gifting, serving, helping is your gifting and is not, you should, or not, you should be doing it because it's good for you. It builds character. It wars against the natural sinful nature in us that is selfish and that is prideful and that is egotistical. It fights against that. It builds character. I firmly believe God uses serving to mold us and to shape us and to prepare us for stuff that he wants to do in our lives going forward. In fact, many of the kind of famous church and Christian leaders that you could think of, if I was to ask you to name off five or ten of kind of really well-known Christian preachers, teachers, pastors, leaders, they would have all started out serving. They would have all started out in the small places, in the places where no one saw, putting out the chairs maybe, sweeping the floors, maybe cleaning the toilets, maybe serving somebody else's ministry, carrying their Bible for them, these kind of things. Because in that time, that would have been a forming time, that would have been a shaping time. And God has a habit of promoting, if you want to use that word, and I use that word carefully, but of promoting those um, to the stage who were first willing to serve behind the stage, unseen. To bring those into the kind of the limelight, if you like, who have first been willing to serve in the darkness, in places where people don't see. So every time we serve and we help people, 
the church here in a way that hurts, in a way that costs us a little bit, in a way that causes us to sacrifice, there's a molding going on, there's a shaping going on. And maybe that's a helpful image for you when you're serving or helping people and you're struggling with that, that God is actually like a pot, the potter with the clay. He's smoothing something out in that process. He's building something. He's shaping our character. He's preparing us. There is such value in serving. Okay, next one point I want to make about the application of serving is about the shape of serving. How we serve and help will look different for all of us. The shape of that in our lives will look different. My aim this morning is not to get everyone signed up to a rotor. <laughs> You'll be pleased to know at the end of this morning to put out the chairs on a Sunday morning or to join this rotor or join that rotor. Because the way that we serve, the way that we help will look different. It will, de- it will be shaped depending uh, on a number of things. I've put some of them Um, Up there, skills, giftings, resources will shape the way that you serve or the way that you should be or called to serve. So, for example, if you have the gift of DIY, that is a gift that, that can shape the way that you serve. You can use that gift to serve people in the church, to serve the church. Maybe it's cooking. Maybe you're good with numbers. Maybe you're creative. These are gifts that you can use to serve people, to serve the body. Maybe it's resources. Maybe you have a car. And that's actually a resource that you can use to serve the church or to help people. It's also shaped, the way we serve is shaped by our time, the time we have available. For some of us, uh, we are retired or we um, are maybe kind of between jobs um, and we have more time during the day. Or maybe we're a student and our lecture pattern means that we have time during the day. And actually then that can shape the way that we serve. We can serve in times at times that others can't who have full-time jobs. If you have a full-time job, then, then that will shape the way and the times that you can serve. Stage of life shapes the way we serve. If you are single, you will have a flexibility and a freedom to serve and to help in ways that those who are married or with families haven't. And let me encourage you, as somebody who's newly married and was single for, for quite a, you know, a good chunk of time before that, actually there's a freedom in that to be able to serve. Actually take that opportunity while you're single to serve and to help well because things do change and you actually what you can do and what you can commit to changes. If you are married or you have a family, yes, there are limitations then on how you can serve, but don't use that as an excuse not to serve. There are different ways you can serve, different ways that you can help. Maybe having other people's kids over and looking after them is a way that you could help and serve as a, as a little example. But there's many other ways that we can serve and help within our stage of life. Personality and passion. So what we are passionate about can shape the way that we serve. Our personality, what we like to do, will shape the way we serve. If we're a people person, that will shape the way that we serve. We'll be drawn towards serving and helping people. If we're more of a tasks person, um, as we talked about the difference between helps and service, that will change the way that we serve. Let me just say this quickly as well. If you have a particular passion to be involved in something, maybe that's teaching, preaching, music, something like that, and there's an area and you think, I'd love to do that, then serve somebody who's already doing it, maybe a little bit ahead of you, a few stages ahead of you. If you, for example, if you think, I'd love to be involved in worship, then start serving Tom and the worship guys because actually that can be a really great way to learn and to grow and to prepare yourself to serve maybe in a more upfront way in the future. Okay, and the need you see finally, the need you see. Sometimes the need is the call. Sometimes that's call enough. You see the need and you think somebody needs to respond to that. I've seen it. I'm going to respond. 
And sometimes we have a tendency to see jobs being done in, not being done in the church or not being done maybe in our workplace. Or we, we see something being done in a way and we think that could be done better. Uh, and we kind of get annoyed about it. But actually sometimes the need is the call. We see that need. Maybe we need to step up to that call. Let me just ask you, what areas for you to think about? What areas in this church are you serving? Are you helping? Are they in line with the shape that you are able to serve and help? Are there ways that you could be serving, helping more? Are there ways that you maybe need to strategize and work out how you can serve and help best within that shape? And then finally, we're almost done. The honor of serving. Next slide, please. Matthew 23, verse 11 to 12. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus honored those who served. We've looked at it already. And I think sometimes as a church, in the wider sense, and I think maybe even as a church as a smaller sense here, we don't always do great at this. We don't always do great at honoring those who serve and help behind the scenes. And it's easy to kind of celebrate uh, and, you know, in one sense we should, but celebrate the worship team and the people who do more obvious upfront jobs. But actually there's people who do stuff that we just take for granted. We don't even think about who does them. It just happens. And they're there behind the scenes and they are committed. And I believe that God honors those people. And that actually when we get to heaven, we'll be surprised at who are the heroes, if you like, of the, of, of the kingdom who are the superstars of the kingdom, that actually it will be people who we wouldn't expect, people who have just been there in the background, never had a mic in their hand, never had a lot of profile, never had a lot of appreciation, but were just faithful. And they just week on week were serving and helping and building kingdom. And our church, I've been part of this church for over 10 years now, and I've seen a lot of people come and move on to other areas, new things, but who have, have sown huge amounts into this church of their time, of their energy, and the way that they served, and they've helped, and they've given, and they've supported. And God honors that, and we honor that as a church and value that. And our church still benefits from some great serving heroes. And so I wanted to finish this morning by um, honoring some heroes in our church, because I couldn't, and there's lots. So I'm only, what I've done is I've just picked out three, and they're not like the best three, they're just three who I felt um, led to pick out and honor this morning um, as people who are heroes, serving heroes in our church. And so we're going to have like a little award ceremony at the end, okay? Uh, and what I've got is, I've got a box of chocolates, look at that, no expense spared. Uh, and I've got this incredible medal, all right? Obviously, it's not about the chocolates, it's not about the medal, it's about the honor. Uh, and for transparency, I'll tell you, this isn't real gold. But um, what we're going to do is we're going to honour those people. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you just briefly why we're honouring them. Uh, and their name's going to come up on the screen. And I want us all to just honour them. And the way we're going to honour them is we're going to get everyone to stand up, apart from the person who's being honoured, and just give them a massive round of applause. Maybe some cheering and kind of whistling and other things as well. And then I'm going to ask maybe, sorry, Abby, you're in a nice close way. I want you to go and kind of be the medal presenter. And there's a box of chocolates as well. Well, you might be. You might be. <laughs> Um, right. <laughs> so the first person I want to honour this morning is somebody who, like, we come on a Sunday morning and stuff's just set out. Banners are done, um, you know, chairs are out and stuff like that. Uh, and, um, and what I wanted to, this person has consistently, over a good number of years, come every single week, got up earlier on a Sunday morning than probably most people do, and has 
come every week and got involved in serving and helping uh, and just has a wonderful and incredible servant heart. And that person is, next slide please, it's John Bowen. Let's stand up and uh, honour John. Stand up and let's give him a clap. <laughs> Fantastic one, well John. The thing I liked was he was on the side. He didn't even realise it was him. He hadn't even looked ahead. <laughs> Fantastic. Well done, John. You are a, a hero, uh, a kingdom hero. The next person I want to... Oh, next person that is somebody else who, on a Sunday morning, um, most of you wouldn't spot what this person does, but they... Most of the chairs, I think, every week get put away by this person. And she cleans up, and she does all kinds of tasks. And she's not even been in our church that long, and she's just got so stuck in. And that person is Lynn. (laughs) So let's stand up and celebrate Lynn. You are a kingdom hero. Fantastic. All right. And the third person... um, Unfortunately, isn't here today, <laughs> which I thought would happen with one of them. Um, but we're going to honour her anyway, and then we'll tell her about it afterwards. For this person, we enjoy coffees, and we enjoy um, biscuits, uh, and this person organises the rotors, uh, and they do start taking stuff on with the welcome team, and they do a huge amount behind the scenes in buying the stuff in, so that when we kind of stumble in on a Sunday morning in need of caffeine, it is there, and it is available, and it is brilliantly done. And that person is Rachel. Um, so uh, we give her a clap. <laughs> She's somewhere she might know. Um, oh, we're filming it. There we go. So we'll take this for Rachel <laughs> um, and, uh, and thank her for what she does. She's another kingdom hero. But there are others in this room who I haven't mentioned. There's others who aren't in this room because they're away today who I haven't mentioned. So as by way of response, I'm going to pray um, to finish in a second. But what I've got is I've got lots more medals. <laughs> and I've also got a look at these got little cups as well, all right? So medals and cups, they're of equal value, all right? That's not one's not better than the other. They came together. Um, <laughs> but what I'm going to do at the end is I'm going to lay, put some out here on the communion table, okay? And what I'd like for a number of us to do, or as many of us as possible, I want them all to go. I don't want to take any of these home. So um, I want you to take one. And if you can think of somebody who you have seen serve in this church in a particular way and you've noticed that they serve in a particular way. I want you to take them a medal or a cup and just say, I'm honouring you today for the way that you serve and that you help in this particular area and just honour them. And we're going to do that at the end while we're having coffees and stuff like that. Or it might be somebody who helps. You know, you might have benefited because somebody has really helped you or released you to do something else and you just want to honour that. So people who've served, people who have helped, it could just be a little thing, it could be a massive thing. It doesn't matter. Take one of these, take a couple of these and honour some people after the service today. If there's somebody you want to honour who isn't here, then take one away with you and honour them when you next see them. So I have like a good 10 or 11, so there's probably enough for basically everyone to take one and honour somebody. Um, so at the end, please come and grab one of these um, off the table and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do that. Let, let me pray. Uh, and then we'll sing. Um, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you are the servant king, that you demonstrated that you modeled this for us, Father, and that you were also the great rabbi, the great teacher, that you are our great example. And Lord, we want to be more like you. In so, so many ways, we want to be more like you. But I pray for these particular areas that we've looked at this morning, the area of teaching, Father, that we... We would teach those around us, teach those who we meet, but we would reveal, we would impart something of your word and your truth, that that would be a pattern in our lives. 
And Lord, for those who serve and help in our church so faithfully, we honor them, we thank you for them, we thank you for the giftings that they have, and we celebrate that. But Lord, for all of us, Father, I pray, God, that you would help us to to serve and to help within the shape that you have called us to, within the places and in the ways that you've called us to. And we would do that faithfully, Father God, even when it hurts, even when it's difficult, even when it costs us something, that we would recognize the greater glory. We would recognize that it's another brick going in place in the building of the kingdom. It might seem like a small and irrelevant task to us, but it's another brick in the building that we are building your kingdom, your temple, if we like, here on earth, Lord God. And we recognize that, Jesus. And we thank you that we get to serve. Lord, help us, those of us who serve, to remember that it's for you. And it's all about you. And it's for your glory that we serve. God, just even this week, even this morning, just put little ideas, little inspirations of who we can help. Who, ways that we can serve that we've never considered before. Father, would you challenge, would you convict, would you shape? Would you make us more like you, we pray. For more information about our church or to access more of our resources, please visit thefreedomcentre.com.